2: I'm Sheila Shoige and welcome to Ready To Be Real Conversations, the podcast series where I chat to people of all walks of life. Over the Christmas break, I'm re-releasing some powerful episodes from 2023. And back in February, I spoke to Lebanese-Canadian author, poet, speaker, activist and educator, the incredible Nejwa Zabian.
3: Writing has changed my life writing has brought me to myself and it continues to do so. This is not just something in the past and that's why I'm saying it has done this. It continues to this moment to change my life because not only does it give me the power to write my own story, but it gives me the power to recall my own story the way I lived it as opposed to listening to other people's opinions or narratives that they're trying to feed me about who I am, what I deserve, what I don't deserve.
2: Speaking to Neshwa on Ready To Be Real was a pinch me moment for me as she's someone I have long admired. And in this conversation she speaks about being wronged and how best to manage it, self-worth and sitting with your pain, gaslighting, the importance of boundaries and how to heal. And at the end of the conversation I ask her a question that has a profound impact on both of us. I really hope you find this conversation helpful. Najwa. it's an absolute honour to have you on the podcast, and I truly mean this. This is, a, this is a big moment for me because I'm a huge fan of your work and what you, what you do and, and what you offer all of us in terms of self-reflection and healing. Um, so I feel really lucky today be able to sit and talk to you. So for those listening who may be brand new to listening to you, um, and I know you have a huge amount of fans worldwide, but I think for us to really understand how you write the way you do, the way you communicate, the way you do um, and teach us so much about learning more about ourselves and becoming more self-aware, I think we need to understand a little bit about where you came from and and what led you there. So you were born and raised in Lebanon, um, but you did leave before the war broke out when you were, I'm guessing, around 16, am I right?
3: 16, yes, it was actually on my 16th birthday. So I came here because to Canada because my family had already been here at the time. So I'm the only one in my family who was born and raised in Lebanon. My parents started their life in Canada, had five children, And one day, my oldest sister came home, and my dad spoke to her in Arabic, which is our first language. And she didn't understand. So he was like, I'm just going to take the whole family back home so they could learn Arabic. And that's where I was born. And then my siblings are many years older than me, like my oldest sister is 15 years older than me. Mm
2: -hmm.
3: And the next one's up, they're twins, and they're eight years older than me. So there was always that age gap between me and all of them, my siblings and my parents. Um, And when they started hitting the age of 18, they were coming to Canada either for school or work or my sister got married at a young age. So by the time I was 16, I was the only one there. And I was living with my married sister. My parents were here. My brothers were here. My other sister was here. So when I came, it was with the intention of just visiting for the summer. And it was only a few weeks after I arrived that the war broke out. So it kind of put me in a place where it's like, you can choose to stay here, but it didn't really feel like a choice. It felt like I just had to, like, it was the smart thing to do. And it was mm-hmm. right before grade 12 and grade 12 is very important for universities. So I just decided I would stay here. But again, it didn't feel like a choice. It felt like I was stuck with that. So, I mean, the reason I'm saying this is to explain where my writing journey began. So it had started when I was 13, living in Mm -hmm. Lebanon and getting severely emotionally bullied in school and never really having anyone to talk to about it. My parents perceived me as a very mature kid from a very young age. So their lack of attention there wasn't because they didn't care. It was because they thought I could handle it or they thought it didn't affect me as much as it did. And now that I look back, I think I really did put on that face of, I'm fine, those things aren't affecting me, but they really were affecting me. So on my 13th birthday... My friend there, her name is Maryam, gifted me a journal, and that's when I started writing. And the writing was to hear myself and see myself and just, you know, be that crying shoulder that I needed at the time. And because my parents were going back and forth between Lebanon and Canada so much, there was no real consistency in a physical home kind of sense, which through time manifested as no consistency in an internal home kind of sense or I didn't really feel like I belonged anywhere and I didn't really feel like I had the safety of knowing where home was going to be mm-hmm. in both senses, the physical and the emotional, spiritual, whatever you want to call it. So when I came to Canada at 16, it felt like as weird as it sounds, the comfort of the familiarity that I had in Lebanon, even though I was getting bullied, even though I never really fit in or belonged anywhere, I still knew everyone. I still knew the way things worked. I spoke in my first language and everybody understood. I dressed the way that everybody there dresses, like I didn't stand out in any way. And then when I came to Canada, it was the complete opposite. It was like I was being taken from one world, planted into a completely different one. And now I had to learn all these new rules about how things work. And that really led me to a place where every single time I sat down to write, I was just reminded of how helpless and hopeless I was in changing my reality even Mm -hmm. though the writing felt good, because I was hearing myself. It also made me very aware that there was nothing I could do to change my situation. So I stopped writing at 16. And the next seven, six or seven years were just really, I lived them in black and white. I was in survival mode. Now that I look back, at the time, I didn't have that terminology. But it felt like I was just in constant desperation of feeling like someone saw me or heard me. But at the same time, I wasn't willing to do anything to get that because I was just so scared of feeling hurt. And so I just internalized this belief that I just don't deserve that from anyone. And um, when I started teaching at the age of 22, I was given a few students who had just arrived from Libya, which was torn by war that year. And I just saw in them my 16-year-old self, and I started writing to help them heal and help them feel like they didn't need to fight for a place to be here. They already had one. I wanted to lift them up the way I wished someone lifted me up when I was 16. Mm. So that's what led me back into writing And it was those writings that made my first book, Mind Platter, which I self-published. And it continues to do so well in the world. It's been out for six years now. And, um, you know, there is no turning back from that point. Also, a story that is worth mentioning that through my writing journey, Mm -hmm. it kind of recovered itself in my memory and just in how... Life changing it was for me at such a young age that came, and this is why I tell people you need to sit down and write. You don't have to write it with a pen and paper, but you need to sit down and journal somehow. Whether yeah. you are, you know, recording it on your phone or picking up the phone and calling a friend you really trust and talking to them about it or speaking to a therapist, there has to be an element of introspection and just you leading your story in a way because that's going to lead you to places that you may have buried deep, deep, deep down within. That's what happened with me. It was a few years after I started writing that I realized that when I was at around the age of eight or nine, I don't remember specifically. I, At that time, I was staying with my aunt and uncle and there were many experiences, many instances when I would be excluded because they had family time. I didn't realize how much that affected me and how much that affected my understanding of how worthy I am of being included or how worthy I am of being prioritized or how worthy I am of being thought of, like, considered mm-hmm. But one vivid moment that came to me, which is that was the beginning story in Welcome Home that I wrote about as the beginning of my journey to understanding that my home is really within me. It's nowhere outside of me. But there was a vivid moment when it was the night before a really big celebration that we had and we were all playing, me and my cousins. And my aunt came into the room and said, okay, well, you stay here. We're going downstairs for family time. And they went into a room and started opening gifts and laughing. And, you know, and, and I remember sitting in that room and just hearing all of that and hearing the happiness, the joy, the feeling of love, the feeling of being important to someone, the feeling of just, I don't know, being part of something. And I just sitting there and thinking, why can't I have that? And it struck me when I recovered that memory that throughout my coming years into my adulthood, that question was a very common question I asked whenever I didn't get something or whenever something didn't work out the way that I wanted it to. Was always like, why can't I have that? Like, what's wrong with me? Why do I not deserve that? Why is that not written in the books for me? Why? And so when I became aware of that through my writing journey, that's when I realized I have the power to change the narrative. And it's not about saying, why can't I have that? It's about saying, why don't I have that yet? Because if I say, why can't I have that? I'm saying it's impossible. Mm. But if I say why don't I have that, I'm saying it's possible. I just yeah. haven't experienced it yet. Yes. So for anybody listening, I say this all the time and I'll say it again. And for anyone who knows my work, they will recognize this message. Writing has changed my life. Writing has brought me to myself and it continues to do so. This is not just something in the past, and that's why I'm saying it has done this. It continues to this moment to change my life because not only does it give me the power to write my own story, but it gives me the power to recall my own story the way I lived it as opposed to listening to other people's opinions or narratives that they're trying to feed me about who I am, what I deserve, what I don't deserve. Yeah, that was a very long answer, but but I think it's what you were looking for, too. Absolutely. Thank you for for sharing that. (laughs) You actually you actually shared something on your Instagram
2: page not so long ago on what you've just spoken about there at the end, which really resonated with me. And I remember sharing it on my stories and I had to watch it and rewatch it a few times because It's the whole idea of, you know, who cares what other people think of you. That's exactly what you were saying. And you go into the why. You speak about such big ideas and, you know, profound concepts, but you simplify them. And I think that's your, your gift is to break it down in a way that we can digest and get straight away. Um, and while it's a beautiful thing to say, let's, you know, encourage writing. And I, I get that completely. And, and I know the personal power of, of, of writing your emotions down, but you bring it to a whole other realm because it is, it. you have such a gift with words and you. your poetry is, is stunning. Um, but let's just stay on that for the moment because A lot of people listening may have be maybe in that situation right now or have been there where, you know, somebody just got it wrong about them and they're struggling to uh, be Mm -hmm. okay with that. What advice would you have for somebody who is listening right now and feels that way?
3: So I'm actually going to reference the most recent thing I've written which is a guide called Trust Your Heart, Lead Your Journey to Self-Discovery from Within. And that was the first time I truly just focused on writing your own narrative, but not only that, also trusting yourself in that writing and also like not writing, you know what I mean? Not just writing in the sense of the pen and paper, but being able to sit down and say, This is what happened to me. This is what I went through. This is how I experienced it. I trust my recollection of events. I trust my evaluation of how bad that was. I trust my own body that's telling me how this is hurting, how intense the pain is, how wronged I've been. And I'm trusting my own knowledge of who I am, and how hard I tried. And I also trust that I actually didn't do anything to deserve this. You know, a lot of times when people uh, wrong us in some way or cause us some kind of pain, we sit down and we reflect on what is it that I could have done that would have pushed that person to behave in that way. And when we do that, on an innocent level, it seems like, oh, I'm just looking for, I'm trying to be accountable. I'm trying to understand if I could could have done something different that would have yielded a different result. But really what you're doing is you are stepping out of your own story into someone else's story and trying to understand why it is that they behaved the way that they behaved. And what you're doing when you're doing that is you're skipping the part. The most important part, which is how do you feel about what they did to you? Stop looking for the reason. You think that if you know the reason, that it's going to ease the pain or it's going to make the pain go away, but it doesn't. Because even when you know why they did what they did, which most most times you won't find that out, right? Like we look for closure so hard, but many times we don't get it. And when you do get it, you think, oh, this will be it. But then there's that pain that's still waiting to be felt by you. Because the reason why someone hurt you or wronged you doesn't justify the hurt or the wrong in a way that takes it away. It's still there. And when you don't feel it, and you just say, well, now that I know why they did what they did, next time I will make sure that this doesn't happen. You jump into protection mode instead of sitting with yourself and saying, wow, like this really hurt. You really invested in this person. You really trusted this person. You really gave this person access into your life and into your heart. And like, sit with that and feel the pain because when you don't, then what your, what your body learns is we don't matter. What matters is their narrative, their story, why they did what they did, why they took parts of who we are and took advantage of them or why they broke the trust that, they, that, that we've given them. So your body thinks I come last, Not first. So, the advice I would give to someone to sum it up if you've been wronged, stop waiting for the answer or the correction from them. It will not do anything. It might ease the pain in a way, it might ease the process of healing, but it's not going to fully take it away. What you need to do is trust yourself, what you went through, how you know it felt. How like give yourself permission to feel the pain. One of the things I talk about in that guide, trust your heart, is break the dam of strength within you. And what I mean by that is don't sit there and say someone like me should not have gone through something like that. Maybe that's true. No one should go through that kind of pain. But when you stick to that, someone like me should not have gone through something like that. You're saying everything that just happened, just because it shouldn't have happened, I'm just, I'm not going to stoop to that level and feel it because I'm just not somebody who should have gone through it. Well, you're just tucking it away somewhere. It's like a room in your house that you just keep things that you just don't want to deal with. But one day you have to deal with them, even if it's choosing to throw them away, even if it's choosing to give them away, even if it's choosing to sit and repurpose them and say like, What did I learn from buying this thing that I don't need? Or you have to do something with the pain. So that dam of strength within you that's saying, we don't feel something like this, which is sometimes you get this in a lot of the online advice. Mm -hmm. They give you messages that, that are like, you know, you didn't deserve this. You are better than sitting and dwelling on this pain. You move on with your life and just be happy and realize your worth. And, but a big part of that is sitting with the pain, allowing the pain to flow through you. Because just like the purpose of a dam is just to create that strength of, you know, the current that's coming, or it's the same thing with your emotions that are like waiting to be felt by you. They're, they're like, They're inside of you creating this very big resistance to something. And really, it's the resistance to you being one with yourself. And if you can just imagine that dam within you that's like, no, I'm not going to allow this pain in because I shouldn't feel it. If you imagine it breaking, Mm -hmm. look at the beautiful flow that's going to happen. And it's not going to be as painful to think back to how you've been wronged or how you've been treated every time you think back to it, because now there's flow, there's harmony. You're allowing those emotions in and not saying, I'm too scared of feeling you stay away. You're saying, I welcome you here. I'm not going to spend my whole life with you. I'm also not going to be controlled by you because what we try to protect ourselves from to a certain extent, controls us. Because if the protection is out of fear, I'm not going to let this in because I'm too scared of letting it in. If I do let it in, then what does it mean about me? Does it mean I'm weak? Does it mean that I deserved what I went through? Does it mean that I have to cut this person out of my life? Does it mean... So we resist feeling everything because we, we don't want to deal with the consequences. Mm. And then when we do feel them, We are the ones who have power over them as opposed to them having power over us. So, if you've been wronged, I need you to trust yourself, trust your experience, trust your heart, your body. Allow yourself to tell the story as it happened to you. Sit down and say it from your perspective. Don't step into their story and say, Well, they must have done this because in their last relationship, this is what they went through. Or they must have done this because the moment you find yourself stepping into their story, remember that that's not where you are. You are in your story. You have the right to experience what you actually experienced. So that's my advice to any person who's been wronged. Because once you take the figurative pen, and tell that story as it is and heal the parts of it that needs to be healed then the feeling of wrongness doesn't make you helpless it doesn't make you feel like you're at the mercy of that pain or that you're going to shut yourself out to any kind of connection in the future because someone wronged you therefore everybody else could wrong you like when you take that power back, then you are not in a place where you are at the mercy of what other people are willing to do with who you are. You are at the mercy of what you are willing to do with who you are and what places you are willing to put yourself in, what boundaries you are willing Mm. to put around your heart and around your life. Yeah.
2: Talking about boundaries. That is a, a huge. Yeah. That's a huge step for a lot of people who. Maybe didn't grow up with boundaries. Maybe boundaries weren't respected. Again, you you shared so much about about yourself. But am I right in thinking as well that in terms of, of you now as somebody who is very comfortable embracing your feelings and expressing them in a healthy way and embracing your vulnerability, therefore your power, that is it at it's at odds with, the culture which you grew up in.
3: It's very discouraged too because you're given a definition of what it means to be a good person and that is putting yourself last, especially as a woman. You do everything for everybody and you make sure everyone else is comfortable and you make sure that you don't do anything that would make those who are connected to you look bad or feel ashamed in some way. It really is the collective over the individual. And with that comes a lot of enmeshment because you carry everybody else's burdens and you carry the responsibility for how others are going to feel about how you choose to live your life. And with that comes a very big resistance to boundaries. Boundaries are considered you are being selfish or you are being very self-centered, which you shouldn't be. Or you are, you just don't think of anybody but yourself. You're being inconsiderate. And so I've gone through all of that. And I've, you know, I thought maybe there could be a way where I can set boundaries, but at the same time, keep the same relationships that I had. And I realized with time that many times when your boundaries don't serve certain people, they will not budge on, you know, respecting your boundaries. They might just say, nope, I will not welcome you into my life as long as that boundary exists or until that boundary goes away. And I used to carry the responsibility of that, thinking like, well, I'm the one who's choosing to end that relationship because I'm the one who's setting the boundary. And it took so much time for me Mm. to recognize that they were the ones who were choosing To end the relationship by saying, the only way I'll welcome you into my life is through this condition. What I wanted was the boundary wasn't to end the relationship, it was to actually make it a healthy one Mm -hmm. and to maintain it. But when somebody says, as long as this boundary is present in your life, I'm not going to be present in your life, that's a choice they're making. So what I have to do is say, is this relationship worth it for me? Any kind of relationship with family, with friends, with romantic partners, is this relationship worth it for me? If I have to go back on something that is so essential to who I am as a person, and if, you know, most times the answer is absolutely not. It's not worth it. It's The relationship isn't worth it, and The problem is when you don't see worth in yourself, you are very likely to overvalue that relationship because you get something out of being as part of that connection. So you're likely to go back on your boundary and say, you know what, I'm going to choose a relationship over the boundary or over myself, really, that's what you're doing, over my existence as who I authentically am. And if anybody's listening and you've done this, Don't judge yourself. This is actually one of the most common sentences I used in Trust Your Heart. I said, do not be ashamed of the choices you made in the past. Don't even be ashamed of the choices you make in the present moment because they come at odds with your knowledge, right? Like you might tell me, I know what I deserve. I Mm. know my worth. I trust my gut. It speaks to me, and I trust it. But when it comes to actually applying what you know, that's difficult. Yes. I really need people to understand there is no shame in knowing something Mm -hmm. and continuing to act against your knowledge A few times until you get to a point where you feel like I'm finally ready to act upon my knowledge, because the reason you don't act upon your knowledge, isn't that you're lazy or weak or that you aren't willing or that you don't want to. It's because you don't have the right tools and you don't believe that if you actually acted upon your knowledge, that you could survive the consequences of this action. Because let's go back to what we were just talking about when a boundary that you set could cost you a connection. If it costs you that connection, you are very likely, if you're really attached to this person in some way, or you attach the definition of who you are to having this connection or this attachment, you're very likely to do absolutely anything except for what would cause that connection to go away because you think you can't survive the loss of that connection. So if you find yourself falling into that judgment or shame mode saying, I know I deserve so much more, but every opportunity I get to actually end this or walk away or set a boundary, I shy away because I know what the consequence is going to be then what you're doing is you're trying to survive. So please sit with that self of yours and give it compassion, give it understanding and say, I know why you're doing this. You're not doing it because you actually want to hurt yourself, but you think that the hurt that will be caused as a result of this will be so much bigger than the hurt of you living in a way that's not authentic to you. And it's with time that you realize that the biggest pain in life is not being able to live your authentic life, is not being able to be yourself. And it's not being seen for who you are. That's one of the biggest pains we experience. It doesn't matter whether we're talking about just everyday relationships or we're talking about a business person, a CEO. Every one of us has that core need of Just wanting to be seen for who we are without the labels, without what we do, without our gender, without our age, without whether we're married or not, whether we have kids or not. We just want to be seen Mm -hmm. for who we are. And when we get to the point where we value being seen for who we are over valuing being in other people's lives, that's Mm -hmm. when. We've reached the ultimate form of truly trusting ourselves over everybody else. And I always tell everyone, because you know, people ask, well, how do I trust myself? Because I think I do. And, And trust your heart. I said, if you were to bump into a stranger on the street and they said to you, come, I have a place to show you. Would you walk with them? Probably not. Why? Because I don't know them, right? Mm
2: -hmm, mm -hmm. So then,
3: how do you expect to trust yourself when you don't know yourself? So that's Mm -hmm. why this guide is about discovering yourself. It's a process of self discovery through any kind of heartbreak and beyond any kind of heartbreak. There are lessons for us to learn from the way people treat us, but there are also lessons for us to learn from the way we've treated ourselves. And Again, I so don't say this with shame. Like I've treated myself so badly. I don't mean that. I mean, when we look back at our entire life mm-hmm. and what it is that shaped us to be who we are in this moment, what lessons we learned about ourselves in the past, in our childhood, that's when we are able to be like, "Oh, this is why I'm a people pleaser. This is why. I put everybody else ahead of me. This is why when somebody speaks to me a certain way, I just fall into that freeze response of like, I just feel like there's nothing I can do. There is a process of getting to know yourself that is very personal to you, that has absolutely nothing with just the way that someone else wronged you. Or there's there's this beautiful element of, that self-discovery that has to do with going back to moments where you have been wronged you have been lied to you have been conditioned in a certain way you have been excluded you have been just made to feel like you're not important there are moments like that that you have to go back to as your Mm -hmm. present self and sit with that younger self of yours and Instead of just focusing on what just happened, truly focusing on how that younger you felt and sitting with them as present adult you and just giving them all the understanding they need and saying, you know, that thing that that person said or did, they shouldn't have said that. And I know you must be feeling sad and Be feeling excluded, and even imagine giving yourself a hug. Like, I'm getting goosebumps as I'm talking about Mm, this because it's not just about going back to those moments and saying that was wrong, that shouldn't have happened. You need to sit with that person and truly see how they're feeling and allow them to feel how they're feeling and give them that validation. And in a way, you're giving yourself validation. Yes. I could talk for hours about this. I don't even want
2: to interrupt you because you're you're in such a wonderful flow. And every time I listen to you speak, you you are. And I'm uh, resonating with so much of what you're saying. And And I'm really grateful. So if I am, I know people listening are also. How have relationships in your own life changed since you stepped into your own power and embraced yourself? And it's not always an easy one when you start to listen to yourself and tune into you, those around you, particularly those who who know you a long time, might not always be happy with you listening to yourself, doing what's right for you.
3: Mm -mm. Yeah. And in a way, they might think they know what's best for you more than you know, and they might be relying on their own experience, but also... Going back to what we were saying about boundaries, a big part of why we don't stick to boundaries is if we were raised in a way where we felt like our actions directly impacted those around us and we had to think of everybody around us before we made a decision for ourselves, right? So many times, if you do something with your life that might make a person around you look bad from their view, for example, if you were raised in a conservative culture like I was, you know, moving out before I was married was a very big deal because women didn't move out of their parents' home until they're married, but Mm -hmm. I moved out before I was married. So the messaging that that could have sent to anybody looking at my parents was, they're bad parents. They don't know how to raise their daughter. They're, you know, they should be ashamed. And so I had to carry the burden of all of that when really my intention was to just move out so that I could have a quiet space to write. That was it. And I was 27 years old when I moved out. Mm -hmm. And it took months of conversations and hard conversations To get to a place where I just said to myself and to everyone, I've made this decision and I'm moving forward with it. My intention isn't to make you look bad. My intention isn't to, you know, make you feel ashamed or make people see you in a certain way. This is a decision for me. But it took months to get to that
0: point. Selling a little or a lot. and Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host.
2: Was that accepted by them? Did they, did they, were they okay with it?
3: Yeah, it was. Okay. Yeah. But you know, at first it was like, what are you saying? Mm. And it's not to... I don't look at my parents and think that was such a bad thing. They were doing what they knew, you know, they, this is how they were raised and this is what they knew was right and wrong. And I was very fortunate that I was able to have these conversations with them as opposed to just, you know, um, feeling a hundred percent excluded and being shunned. And, you know, I, I didn't get that, but, but, They were very difficult conversations where I was put at certain crossroads where I was made to feel like if I was making this choice for myself, then I was only thinking of myself and not thinking of how they're being perceived. And again, when I put myself in their shoes, I don't think they did that because they're bad people. They're very Mm -hmm. good people. But they are acting based on how they were raised and which background they came from. So that's why I said many times when people have a hard time with who we've become or how trusting of ourselves we've become, it's not always with a bad intention. It their intention could very well be I know what's best for you more than you know because I've lived many years more than you did, or because I've been through this experience. Or sometimes it really is that being who you are makes them uncomfortable, or you growing in a certain way reminds them of all the ways they didn't grow, or they should be growing, but they're choosing not to. Like, yeah, sometimes that is the intention of people. When I talk about my parents, I'm like, I know their intentions were good intentions, but you always have to think of intent versus impact. I can look at someone's intention, but how is their action impacting me? That's the most important part. I have the right Mm -hmm. to be impacted by their actions and by their words. I can understand their intention, but the impact is very important. Someone could tell you, I slapped you out of love. So your intention is to give me tough love. This never happened. I'm just coming up with yeah, an example. Yeah, yeah, sure. If your intention is like, you just saw me going through, you know, like maybe I raised my voice or something and your way of showing me tough love was to slap me. That was your intention. But the impact is you disrespected me. You assaulted me. You spoke to me in a way that I don't deserve to be spoken to. Like, those are the things that I need to focus on, not what your intention was. For those who are more
2: empathetic by nature, I think often can can look for the reason behind why somebody behaves in a way that has caused that person pain. Oh, well, because, you know, they, there must have been other stuff going on in their lives or it was because of this. And they make excuses. They kind yeah. of move to forgiveness quicker because I suppose in a person who is kind by nature, they want to, to see the good in people, don't they? And that can prevent your own, um, that can prevent you from, from recognizing your own distress and your own discomfort at a situation. Um, so it's really, really good advice. And I know naturally you've spoken about this before that you are naturally an empathetic person and, with that, it opens up a whole other realm of conversation, which I know if we open the the whole narcissistic versus empathetic person conversation, we'll probably be here for another year <laughs> because it's such a huge, yes, huge for topic. sure, it's such a huge topic. Yes. Um, so you know, you, you've spoken about your parents, your family, um, you know, the the culture in which you grew up, and I just be curious to know about what your relationship is now with with religion and particularly particularly with the Muslim
3: religion Mm. how do you feel about it now I was raised with a very deep religious um I don't know what the word is but everything was based in religion when I was growing up we lived right next next to a mosque I attended an Islamic school from grade 7 till grade 11 I used to wear the hijab for I wore it since the age of 13 till 27. So for a very long time. And my relationship with religion really changed over the years. And now my relationship with God is extremely different from the one that existed before. Before there was a lot of fear involved. Not anymore. And I don't force myself to follow what People say God wants. I genuinely believe that whatever religion you believe in, whatever faith you have, whatever higher power you believe in, at the end of the day, your ultimate purpose should be to be yourself, to live a life that's authentic to you. And I just think that it doesn't make any sense that God would want a person. To live in fear or to constantly feel like they are being judged for what they're doing. Um, the most important thing is that you are good to yourself first and good to others. So when it comes to specific things that have to do with religion, specific ways of doing things, I don't really follow any of that anymore. To me, faith is a better word than religion. I do believe I am a faithful person, but I don't follow certain rituals that I did before. I don't I'm not hard on myself for not following those rules anymore because I just know that my heart Is pure, and I know that I'm doing my absolute best to be the best for myself and for everybody around me, and not just directly around me, but throughout the world. I know that my purpose of helping people find themselves and come back to who they are and live authentically transcends religion. Like it transcends. I remember when I first started writing, everybody's like, Oh, she's a Muslim author who blah blah blah, and I'm like, I don't want that label because I don't just speak to Muslims. I speak to everyone. And I know that, like, many people listening will be like, well, why don't you want people to label you as that? Well, how often do you hear someone being um, introduced as a Christian author unless they write about Christianity? Do you know what I mean? So, why? Yeah, me why too. do you want to shame me for? not wanting to be introduced in that way because that's just not something that I want to be glorified for or known for. What I want to be known for is my ability and willingness to put you know words to all the emotions and thoughts that we universally feel regardless of what we believe in or what gender we are, what country we're from, what race we are. I just my words are very universal. And so when it comes to my own like daily life, the most important thing for me is that I'm being true to myself. And I just know that that's what God or a higher power would want from me. Hmm. You've mentioned the
2: words that you have used. And there are so many excerpts in your books that resonate and um, are just so so beautiful and so profound. Um, And of course, the one that we we associate with you often is, of course, these mountains that you are carrying. Yeah, you were only supposed to climb. It feels even strange for me saying them when I'm sitting in front of the person who who wrote these words and they're only a few Mm. words, but yet they say so Mm. much. I remember the first time I heard it, it just. It landed with me in such a massive, massive way. Um, it Mm. does bring so much to mind. Where were you in your life when you wrote those words? What was going on (laughs) for you at that time?
3: Oh, well, I I was just going through a very big injustice that happened with me and just feeling extremely wronged. It's funny how this is coming full circle because that's what we started talking about. Mm. And um, just being fed a truth that the attempt was to tell me, this is your truth. This is what actually happened. And I just knew with every fiber of my being that that's not what happened. And that the pain I'm feeling didn't just come out of nowhere. Like it came out of your specific actions that were wrong and your manipulation and your way of telling me things that didn't turn out to be true or telling me things and going back on them. But instead of saying, I went back on this, telling me like, you're making this up in your head. So I was going through a very major attempt at rewriting my narrative and my story. And it just felt like such a heavy weight that I was carrying. It felt like I walked around with this pain that nobody could see other than me and because I didn't really think I had the right to feel it but something inside of me just always knew I'm not going to back down on what I know I lived but there was that internal struggle of like who do I trust in what happened myself or all these other people who are telling me a different thing And when it's people that you trust very much, you're very likely to be like, well, I want their approval, so I'll fall for their narrative. But it's like Mm -hmm. if I fall for their narrative, then I'm telling myself basically that I really did make all of this up and that I didn't go through it. And so it just felt like such a heavy burden where there was like an attempt to erase who I am. And so everywhere I went, it felt like I was hiding this big pain, like I was pushing it in because, you know, there's only a few people that are rewriting what I went through. But imagine it comes out and everybody knows about it, and everybody else is going to say the same thing about me or think the same thing about me. So there was a big uncomfortable comfort in secrecy and in keeping this pain inside of me. And it, really did feel like the weight of mountains. And so one night I was just sitting there and thinking about that and how it felt as heavy as mountains. It was dragging me down everywhere I went. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't eat. I couldn't I couldn't be at peace at any moment of the day. And so when I imagined this crushing weight as mountains, all of a sudden that visual came to me like I'm walking around with these really heavy mountains on my back, but I really need to be conquering them and rising above them. And the reason that it was mountains to be climbed is, this is really funny because my sister always She sends me a message that says these mountains that you are carrying, you were only meant to fly over, like just to (laughs) make it like an easier thing. But the climb part, that's the healing part. That's the part that acknowledges how difficult it is to put that mountain beneath you as Mm. opposed to just saying, I'm going to take the easy way out and put this beneath me without really doing any of the work. So the climbing part, was the part that I truly understood to be this is a very personal journey that I have to do on my own. The loneliness and isolation that I will feel as I'm doing this because if I'm leaving this mountain behind, as in I'm conquering it, then that means I'm leaving many people behind and I'm leaving everything that this mountain is telling me about myself Behind And so it's going to be a very lonely journey. And I might halfway through relapse and say, no, this is too lonely. This is too hard to do on my own. I want to go back. So everything about the mountain analogy and the climbing just worked. And even getting to the top and looking back down and saying like, wow, this pain that I thought was so huge a few months ago or a few years ago, look at how small it looks now. Like Mm. I'm really up here. And then once you've conquered that mountain, there might be another one you have to conquer. But you can always say, I already conquered that one. Yeah. So yeah. That, those words to this day continue to get me through so much. Because, again, the knowledge, you can hear this nugget of knowledge everywhere. And you can be like, yeah, that's true. It's not the knowledge part. It's the application part that's the hardest part. And to understand what's been stopping you from the application is to truly discover who you are and what made you into the person that you are right now. What experiences shaped you? What is your survival mode? What are the limits of your survival mode? Because when I think of survival mode, I see this very small, for those of you who aren't watching this. I see if you were to put your hands together and make a circle, to me, that's survival mode. It's very small. It's very constricting. It's very like if you walk outside of these limits, then it's danger everywhere. Survival mode compared to the life that you are able to live is a very, very, very small dot in the ocean of your life. Just imagine as you're listening to this, that if you did have, if you still have your hands together to make a circle, that you are just distancing your hands apart and just opening up and saying, this is the life that I can live. It's not Mm. just this little constricted bubble that's telling me, if you walk outside of this limit, then you're going to die. Like you feel like you can't survive it. The journey of the climb will bring you closest to the parts of you that you just had buried for so long, including how far do you think you can go in your life? How much power do you think you have over your life? And like right now, and what is that compared to the power that is actually out there that you can explode into, like, it will take you on a journey where you feel like the person who knows you most is you, not mm-hmm. others around you. And where you will feel like the person who's in control of this life of yours is you, not anyone else around you, whether it's through their opinions, whether it's through, again, the narratives they try to feed you, their recollection of certain events, their And the recollection of certain events part, for anybody who's listening, who has ever spoken up about something that they went through, and then the people who were involved said something like, well, I don't remember that. You're just, it wasn't that bad. You know, whether it's in your childhood or in your adulthood, whatever the experience is, when you allow others to dictate for you how much pain you're allowed to feel based on what happened because of the way they remembered it happened, mm-hmm. that's when you give your power away. And again, no judgment. It's a learned behavior. But yeah. I want you to know that you have the ability, even if you've done it a hundred times up to this point, going back to that experience where you're like, Yeah, but you know, this person brought up a really good point that like maybe I just experienced it this way because I was just that sensitive in the moment and I was going through a lot. And in the grand scheme of things, it wasn't that bad, blah, blah, blah. If you've done that a hundred times, the hundred and first time could be that you go back and say, yeah, but that's how I experienced it. Yeah.
2: And again, I think so many people will have experienced that without even realizing it. And I suppose that's gaslighting. Somebody telling Absolutely. You
3: your... Yes. And I talked about gaslighting and I gave an example from my personal life and trust your heart. Gaslighting really attempts to warp your view of your reality and make you question who you are, not just what you went through, who you are and your sanity, your ability to make sense of what just happened or your ability to just truly understand and comprehend life and people. Like, it's not just somebody lied to me and you say they gaslit me. It That could be a gaslighting attempt, but gaslighting is a lot more hurtful in the way that it, it really doesn't just stay on the surface of who you are, it wants to go to the roots of who you are and try to change them or try to Mm -hmm. make you come as far apart from them as possible. And if you've gone through it, do not even for a second question or contemplate the idea that You fell for gaslighting because you're weak. Actually, the strongest people are affected by it. And you have to remember, it is the person who inflicts the pain to be judged, not the person who is having that pain inflicted upon them. So don't sit there and judge yourself for falling for someone's gaslighting, for falling for someone's manipulation, for falling for someone's lies or for believing them when they said what they said. Look at what it means about you, the beautiful things it means about you, that you are able to believe people when they tell you something, that you are able to make people safe enough to be vulnerable with you, that you are able to be vulnerable with others. That's what that says about you. It doesn't Mm -hmm. say you're naive or you're weak. Look at the person who did a certain action and make a conclusion about who they are based on that action. What you did was just be trusting, be vulnerable, uh, be open to possibility Giving another person a chance, giving a person another chance, b- being honest, that's beautiful. There's an example that I i always say this story ever since my friend Stefan said it to me. He told me a story about uh, a, a guy who's standing there with a glass of wine and a woman just bumped into him by accident and the wine glass spilled and... um. The woman says, like, oh, why was the wine spilt? And then the guy says, well, because you pushed me. And the answer isn't because you pushed me, it's because that's what I had in my hand. And the reason I tell this story is if somebody has an abusive nature, Mm -hmm. it's not your push that's bringing the abusive nature out. It's their abusive nature that's coming out. If somebody's full of love and you push into them, it's not your push that has made them this loving person. It's That's what they have inside. It was just waiting for that push to come out. So to make it even more practical when people say, oh, well, they're just going through a hard time because they have so much stress in their life. So it's bringing this side of them out, like work stress or work stress doesn't bring out something within you unless that something within you already existed within you. We're all going to go through tough times, right? So the next time you sit there and try to excuse someone's negative or abusive or manipulative or dishonest behavior by saying, well, there's this push, there's this stress, there's this pressure, there's this past experience, there's this childhood trauma, there's this whatever. Okay, well, what about you? Like, have all of those things brought out? an abusive, lying, manipulative, willing to hurt nature. No, they didn't. So stop sitting there and giving excuses for Mm. the way that someone, and don't tell me they don't have a choice because look at how they treat other people. If they can shut it off with others, they can shut it off with you. That should tell you they do have a choice because many times people will say, well, that's just who this person is. That's their nature. And it's like, well, why could they speak to me this way? And then two seconds later, their phone rings and they're a completely different person. They're nice and kind. If they really were ju- that way, then they would be that way all the time if they had no choice in who they were. So I hope that this is a wake up call to everybody who's listening. And it ultimately, truly comes down to trusting yourself, trusting your. Experience That you are currently going through trusting mm-hmm. how it's impacting you trusting your gut and what it's telling you because yeah. when you trust the excuses, or when you trust the lies or the promises or the words that don't match actions that's coming at the cost of you trusting yourself. Those two things can't coexist. When you trust yourself, then anything that threatens yourself or your sense of who you are, you just naturally say, no, I'm not even negotiating that this excuse could be true or that this lie could be true or that this promise could be true or that it's a one-time thing. I trust myself and what I know to be true in this moment, which is your attempt to erode my sense of reality is something that I can see very clearly. And I I choose not to, you know, help you with it. Mm. Uh,
2: I could talk to you for days and, and probably um, <laughs>
3: we really could only... talk for hours about yeah. this topic
2: <laughs> yeah you could you could um and it just it flows so beautifully out of you I was wondering as you were speaking there because you spoke at the beginning of you know how you felt when you were younger and at 16 you know moving mm-hmm. without realizing it was a, it was a major move at the time to Canada if you were to take your younger self and place her beside you now Mm. and and let her observe the past hour and the the conversation we've had. Mm. What do you think she would would think and feel and say about looking at her older
3: self? Mm. You know, when I was younger, I used to look at certain women who would have been my age now And like the really, really confident, strong ones who just, you could tell they just knew who they were, even though I couldn't put words to it. I would look at them with like these big like eyes. And if you could imagine a cartoon when somebody's eyes are just like glistening with love and and I can't wait to be you. Um, That's how she's looking at me right now. Yeah. yeah, I never thought of that, but that that really moved me. So thank you for such a beautiful question. I think she would be, she's looking at me and saying, I I can't wait to be you one day.
2: And that's what you're doing for us. That's what you're doing for, for yeah. me and mm-hmm. for those <laughs> who you connect with, that you give us permission to fully embrace who we are so that we can look in the mirror and be really happy with the person that's looking back at us. I didn't expect to feel so emotional during this conversation, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but I think that's what you do. either. (laughs) Yeah. I suppose your book, Welcome Home, is all about that. It's about coming back to yourself. And it is, would I be right in thinking it's the book that really has resonated with people across the globe. It's, It's the one that... That really has connected with those who have. Absolutely.
3: Welcome Home is. It was the first time I actually told my full story and went back into all those childhood experiences where I felt like I genuinely didn't deserve to be loved or prioritized or considered or um, put first in any way. And I was very vulnerable in that book, in a not in a like feel bad for me kind of way, but just telling my story as it is and just how I got to a point where now I feel like I'm closer to myself than I've ever been. And after writing Welcome Home, any opportunity that I got to speak more on specific topics, I took it. Just like when I wrote Trust Your Heart, the most recent ebook that you and I were talking about. I based that on Welcome Home. I based it on th- how important it is to build a really strong foundation within yourself of not only saying, I accept myself, but also saying, I know myself. Because if you accept yourself now in the moment, without accepting all the past versions of you that you maybe at some point outgrew or grew from you're not fully and deeply accepting yourself. You need to accept every single part of you, every single past version of you. So this whole topic of learning to trust yourself and learning to trust not only like what your gut tells you, but trusting that you actually can get through what you thought you couldn't get through. You actually can make that decision that's so scary. And if the worst thing that, You thought would happen, actually happened. You trust that you can get through it. Like you're the leader of your life. So for me, being able to tell the story of young me and the many stories that made young me and bringing that little version of me with me everywhere I go instead of just leaving her in the past and saying, well, we've come such a long way. No, she's with me at all times. Mm. Like I still, to this day, a couple of weeks ago, I was like, I'm going to go to the mall. I'm taking little Nezwa on a date. Like I, to do that means that that you are in that, you know, healing is about being whole, right? Mm -hmm. So Mm. it's about bringing all the again, past versions of you together. Like we are all together on this journey. It's not that you're in the past and you ended at age eight or nine and now there's a different me. No, I am a continuation of you. And without you, I can't be who I am today. But for the longest time, that is what I did is that I'm like, I'm never gonna again live in the same way that I lived before. I'm never gonna allow anybody to exclude me. I'm never this, I'm never that. And honestly, when I think about it, little Nezua was sitting there like a little child at the end of a school day waiting when there's nobody to pick her up and thinking like, where Mm -hmm. is every, where is she? Why isn't she picking me up? I was leaving her behind. And now I don't do that anymore. Every time I go through anything hard, I know she's there and waiting for me to see her because before I'm experiencing the pain of the exclusion now, she experienced it. So she needs to be with me and maybe she's the one who's experiencing it now. So I need to be with her. So yeah, I didn't expect to get so emotional during this interview, but for anybody listening, I just would like everybody to know the journey of healing isn't just a one stop thing where you're like, oh, now I'm fully healed. Even I, after all the growth I went through, after all the experiences that I've gone through in my life, after all the hardships and heartaches and all these books that I wrote and put out into the world and all the people I've spoken to who email me, message me, say like, you've changed my life. I'm not somebody who's sitting here thinking I'm fully healed. And That's it. I'm just going to continue to write about it. To be fully healed, this is so important. To be fully healed means that you understand that there is still something to heal from and that you are open to heal from whatever that pain is. Mm -hmm. Because life is going to throw things at you every single day. And it's going to test you to see whether that part of you that you healed is still willing to participate in the healing process. And there are days where you absolutely can wake up in the morning and say, today, I don't want to deal with anything. That's a protective part of you that just wants to rest and relax and not be fully engaged in pain. But don't do that every single day. And don't Feel like you have to be 100% open all the time to being like, hold on a second, I need to just heal from this right now. There is a strength in being able to say, oh, I feel that pain knocking on my door. I will tend to it in a few hours. Now I would like to finish this creative thing that I'm working on. There's that's what that's a big part of being a healed person is that you understand that it is your responsibility to deal with all of these things that are happening, but it is also your choice as to how you're going to and when you're going to and how many hours a day you are going to spend with that one particular pain or the other. And are you going to sit with that pain with judgment or with compassion the ultimate form of being healed is to understand that compassion is the way because you can't shame yourself out of a pain. It's going to stay there. You can't shame yourself out of a past version of yourself because if you shame your way to change, then to maintain that change, that shame has to stay there and you really need to break that cycle You need to lead it with self-compassion and self-love and treat yourself like a person that you love the most. Um, I don't want to wrap up this conversation. I really enjoyed this conversation. And um, yeah, it honestly, it, it did bring me closer to myself because that moment when you asked me how younger me would be feeling right now, like that truly changed something inside of me. So I really thank you for that. And yeah, I look forward to a future conversation between us.
2: Well, thank you. It's been an absolute privilege. I knew it would be a powerful conversation, but I found it to be so profound and so healing and, um, very emotional. So I'm very grateful and I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to those who listen and, uh, And feel the benefit of it too.
3: Thank you for taking the time. And I look forward to speaking to you again in the future. For more on Nejwa, simply go
2: to our website, nezhazebian.com. Thank you so much for listening to Ready To Be Real.
1: Hold up.